first reading is 1 John chapter 1 verse 1 to chapter 2 verse 2 and can be found on page 236 at the back of the church Bible. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testify to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is the light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the Gospel reading, which is from John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21, and can be found on page 90. Alleluia, alleluia. Christ was revealed in flesh, proclaimed among the nations and believed throughout the world. Alleluia. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned. But those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Do please be seated. Let's pray together. Father, as we thank you for the gift of this new day, we recollect the Apostles' teaching that we might watch our life and doctrine closely. So with your love, watch over our minds. With your love, watch over our hearts. 
that we might walk in the steps of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Probably a matter of debate which uh, version of Star Trek you like. I happen to be uh, back in the day. Uh, These great phrases, beam me up, Scotty, I think are unsurpassed. In fact, probably I wouldn't mind that on my tombstone, not beam me up, Scotty, but beam me up, Jesus. I think that would be a little bit original. The best, of course, is Spike Milligan's, I told you I was ill. I think that really is a very good one. But moving on to happier things, I mean, whatever the future might look like, whether you get beamed from planet Earth to the spaceship or whatever warp drive looks like, If you think not now, looking into the future, if you go back then, say 200 years, 400 years, or even to the time of Christ and project 2,000 years ahead, what would they be thinking about? What we would be like? Probably somewhere in the future. But for the first 200 years of Christianity, there was one dominant heresy. And from our perspective, it's difficult to get our minds around because you kind of think, well... How on earth did they make that mistake? And it's not that the passage of time makes us all right, but it does make you think, back then, gosh, this feels like warp drive to us. We commence a series of studies on the first letter of John, the apostle of love, and as we'll be thinking about, his writing supremely, think about God's love. And that's an important point, I have to say, to bear in mind. But whatever this major problem was for the first 200 years of Christianity that they were getting wrong, and it's percolated through the whole of the New Testament, in fact, 1 John is the distillation of where this error, this folly, this diabolical teaching reaches its zenith. And commentators vary as to whether this letter is written, as it were, to the sync group. This is not a mixed ability class where some people have got it half right, some people are really good and they've got it completely, completely right, and others are in the middle. There's a degree of debate about that. I tend to prefer that it's all stations and everyone's including, rather than saying, let's get everyone on the naughty step and give them a jolly good going over. But I have to say, right from verse 1 of chapter 1, do please follow, it's on page 236. It feels like John is speaking to the people who had got it wrong. And how this error, this heresy could exist for 2,000 years actually does make one think. Without further ado, and I'm going to use a fairly simple structure to look at this first chapter, from verses 1 to 4, the problem, verses 5 to 10, the answer, and then, if you will, the first couple of verses of chapter 2, the appeal. Without further ado, you've not come to church this morning to learn about uh, Leonard Nimoy or um, Captain Kirk or Warp Drive or any of that rubbish. You really want to know what the major problem was for the first 200 years of the life of the early church. I won't actually, provocatively, tell you what it's called, because you'll think I'm showing off, and you won't be able to remember the name of the ism, because it's so complicated. But simply put, this is very simply put, it's all about the gap, and it's all about the zap. 
the gap and the zap. The gap is that there is a huge difference, a big gap between what matter is and what spirit is. And simply put, the gap or the fallacy of this particular piece of Christian teaching was that matter didn't matter. The heresy was that matter was somehow tainted, was somehow dark, was somehow evil, and we need to restrain ourselves from that. My summary, matter doesn't matter. But the spirit, the divine, is what matters. Curiously, one of the problems for this particular heresy was that if matter doesn't matter, well, it doesn't really matter what I do. And so actually I could get away with living exactly as I'd like. Now, who'd have thought of that? I'll tell you what, a two-year-old who's told not to play with their toy... (laughs) A teenager who says, you better get back by 12. Well, you just make your own rules up. This is not rocket science. This is actually, now we think about it, quite straightforward. In fact, you can see, now I'm thinking about it with you, this is probably going to last probably 200 years. That's the gap. It doesn't really matter that matter matters because matter's evil. So I can actually do what I like. God is out there, he's spirit, he's life, he's divine, up there in the clouds are all around us, but I can just get on and live my life as I want to. Now the other perplexing thing about this heresy when it comes to Jesus and all problems of the mind which affect the heart, remember Paul's description, watch your life and doctrine closely, focus around an error somewhere to do with Jesus. And this is the zap. That's to say that Jesus somehow appeared on the scene. And then at his baptism was zapped with all the spiritual divinity that comes from God. And they somehow got their minds around that there was Jesus in the flesh, inhabiting matter, but because he got the zap from the divine, well, he must be somehow okay. What was happening before him, before then, Back into the recesses of time, of course, well, that was all spirit. That was all right. But the zap left him as he died on the cross. I mean, how do you get your head around this? It feels like rocket science, but the brilliant thing about this heresy, which we should avoid at all costs, is it just simply puts, allows you to think what you want about Jesus and behave exactly as you wish. In other words, the creature is telling the creator... I'm the master of my own destiny. I can live as I want. I'll sprinkle a little bit of things with Jesus, particularly this zap business, because we kind of like him strutting around on earth with all this power, and then going back to his heavenly Father. Well, you can see how, let's just imagine, it was the group of people on the naughty step, the people who inhabited this particular heresy, neat in their personalities, John's going to have a right old go at them, right from chapter 1, verse 1. We've seen this Jesus. We've, we've heard him. We've seen him with our eyes. We've actually looked at him. We've touched him with our hands. And this we concern to you, the very word of life. In other words, matter does matter. 
because this Jesus, we've seen him, we've heard him, we've actually touched him. The problem, namely the heresy, was answered by pointing once again at Jesus, who has come from the Word, who has come from God as light, comes as human flesh, and is fully incarnate, both human and fully divine. The answer, given in verses 5 to 10, somehow you get the message repeated again in verse 5. This is the message which we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It's not that matter doesn't matter and you can do as you want, but there is a God who is light and he inhabits this light, wonderful sunshine, to perfectly illustrate the sermon at this point, notice. But darkness is darkness and these things matter. And if you say you fellowship with God who is light and you're doing something wrong in the matter of the things that matter in your flesh and blood, then to this God who is holy and light, he cannot cope with darkness. These things matter to him. Notice how the answer is given. There's certainly consequences in verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, you claim to walk with Christ, but we're walking in darkness, namely the matter that you claim to say doesn't matter. John needs to just hold you there in that awkward moment, kind of the detention after school, if you like, and say, well, I'm afraid it does matter. Because as John is saying, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Simply put, the first part of 1 John 1-4 to explains something of the gospel and verses 5-10 to explains how we might avail ourselves on it, of it. Own up and acknowledge the fact that God is holy, is light and pure, and has not distanced himself from our humanity in some form of confusing view of Jesus. But Jesus comes fully God, fully human, and allows us to be accommodated to God's holiness as long as we say what matters, matters, and we can be free from sin when we confess them to God. I came across this, and I've often used this at the turn of the new year, and I think it's still appropriate to read uh, five points to make from a former Archbishop of Canterbury, Michael Ramsey, in my view, one of the lesser-known really good ones. Always striking that people get virtue points after they've long gone, but this certainly happened to Michael Ramsey. Thank God he's speaking to his people. Thank God often and always. Thank him carefully and wonderingly for all your continuing privileges and for every experience of his goodness. Thankfulness is the soil in which pride does not easily grow. 
You're not allowed to do exactly as you want or think exactly as you choose. You're not master of your own destiny. God himself is. And we thank him for every evidence of his presence in our lives. Secondly, take care about confession of your sins. As time passes, the habit of being critical about people and things grows more than each of us realise. That's John's exact same point, isn't it? I've often found that people who come to Christ first and then walk with him for a number of years, the issue of fallenness, frailty and sinfulness by which we acknowledge that we're not as we should be, exactly what John is talking about, if we confess our sins, the implication is that we need to. In the early days, it's often not there. But as you become more aware of the holiness of the light of Christ, the need for confession, it seems to me, increases all the more. Thirdly, be ready to accept humiliations. They can hurt terribly, but they can help to keep you humble. All all these can be so many chances to be a little nearer to our Lord. There's nothing to fear if you are near the Lord and his hands. Don't worry about status. There's only one status that our Lord bids us to be concerned with, and that's our proximity to him. In John's language, it's fellowship with Christ, and that fellowship with him enables us to be right in our matter of our humanity, connected with God in his his divinity, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Ramsey's words, our proximity to him. If a person serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there also shall my servant be. That is our status, to be near our Lord wherever he may ask us to go with him. Use your sense of humour. Laugh at things, laugh at the absurdities of life. Laugh at yourself. So Ramsey's five-point guide to a happy new year. But back to this 200 years of perilous teaching where it was felt that matter doesn't matter, somehow Jesus is not fully God, only inhabits the divine while he's here for a section of life on earth. No, he's fully God and fully human from the very beginning to the very end. There's a difference between light and darkness, sin and holiness. These things matter to God and the only way of true happiness and fellowship with Christ is to confess them. We've looked at the problem, we've looked at the answer, and now briefly and finally verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2, the appeal. Probably we don't even, in my mind, need to go any further than the first line of chapter 2, verse 1. My little children. This is the apostle of love. Frequently in these five chapters and indeed in his other letters, Not to be confused with the Gospel of John, these are the letters or the epistle of John. God is love. Oftentimes at wedding services, this reading is read. Over and over again, John repeats that God is love. Imagine for the moment that you're on the naughty step. Imagine for the moment that things aren't going right. Imagine for the moment... Well, I suppose you can't that you're a two-year-old not doing as mummy says and putting the toys back where they should go. 
or a petulant teenager not getting back at home at night, or maybe you are actually uh, an adult and you've done that and life is going on and you're just inhabiting some form of pathological shame that stops you enjoying life and enjoying other people. What's the one thing you need to be reminded of? This, to my mind, is perfect, basic human psychology. Not to remain on the naughty step. Not to have someone point their finger at you. What you need most importantly of all is to be reminded, despite it all, that you're loved. This is the apostle of love. God is love. In him there's no darkness at all. And as you come to him, you're reminded once more that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Do you remember the parable of the prodigal son? It was only when the father ran to the son and embraced him that the confession of sins came. There was no reminder back at ranch of how naughty he'd been. He wasn't waiting for the whole thing to end. The father ran in his love. Whether you're trying to control a two-year-old, be patient with a teenager, or wonder how your young adult children are going to turn out, the most important virtue to inhabit is that of love. The soil which promotes actual, godly, and bodily change. Do you know what sextortion is? Let's end on a really happy note, shall we? <laughs> I discovered this reading the news this last week. So you have a, a pre-teen, or even a child, or a teenager. They're in their room on their own. That's what teenagers do, by the way. They're in their room on their own. They've got their phone. They're on the internet. And they're looking for relationship. They're looking for bonding and happiness. And all of a sudden, they inhabit some relationship with someone they feel like they're secure with. Except there's a sad, predatory aspect to this. An image is shared, or a line is shared, at which that person is made to feel guilty and shameful. In my view, there's no way that individual needing forgiveness and light and love is going to come into the light, go and tell mummy and daddy, look, something's happening to me that I'm ashamed of, that someone's bullying me over, unless there's a loving, caring environment. Sometimes, I mean, I'm addressing an adult congregation here, we can adopt childish ways and teenage ways ourselves in failing to open up to God about what really is going on. The longer that goes on, the more the shame increases. The longer our humanity decreases. And so one of the great facets of the Rwanda Bible, which probably came from this very facet, this very passage, God is light, so we walk in the light. And the phrase was, it's a long way out to be out in the cold, to be out with God, but it's a very, very short way back. And it's a short way back that anyone can come knowing that God is light and knowing that God is love. I don't know how long it's going to take till we get warp drive. I mean, some of the rail services, it looks like they're never going to get there. 
And if you try and get into Sheffield, you have to spend a couple of days, don't you, going down the hill? It takes so long. And actually, I don't know what the current heresy is today. But the Spirit of God inspired the Apostle John to directly approach the problem of then with the Word. That Jesus is fully God. He's fully human. He fully understands. Nothing escapes his view. And we matter to God. And you know what? He loves us. So all should be well if we walk in fellowship with him. For the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. A moment's quiet as I lead you in a prayer. Father, we're reminded as adults that we're to watch our life and doctrine closely. So please watch over what we think about Jesus. Please watch over what we do with our lives. And thank you as a company of your people that you love us and care for us. Despite us and despite what we've been through, may your blood cleanse us from all sin and remind us even this day of your eternal, ever-present love. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.